Chapter Twenty One of Jacob Faithful by Captain Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Chapter Twenty One, on a sick bed, fever, firmness, and folly. Bound prentice to a waterman. I take my first lesson in love and give my first lesson in Latin. The love lesson makes an impression on my auricular organ. Verily, none are so deaf as those who won't hear. When I recovered my senses, I found myself in bed, and Captain Turnbull sitting by my side. I had been removed to his house when the lighter had arrived at the wharf. Captain Turnbull was then talking with Mr. Tomkins, the former head clerk, now in charge. Old Tom came on shore and stated the condition I was in and Mr. Tomkins having no spare bed in his house, Captain Turnbull immediately ordered me to be taken to his residence and sent for medical advice. During the time I had remained in this state, old Tom had informed Captain Turnbull, the Domine, and Mr. Tomkins of the circumstances which had occurred, and how much I had been misrepresented to Mr. Drummond, and not saying a word about the affair of Wimbledon Common, or my subsequent intemperance, had given it as his opinion that ill-treatment had produced the fever. In this I believe he was nearly correct, although my disease might certainly have been aggravated and hastened by those two unmentioned causes. They all of them took my part, and Mr. Turnbull went to London to state my condition to Mr. Drummond, and also to remonstrate at his injustice. Circumstances had since occurred which induced Mr. Drummond to lend a ready ear to my justification, but the message I had sent was still an obstacle. This, however, was partly removed by the equivocating testimony of the young clerk when he was interrogated by Captain Turnbull and Mr. Drummond, and wholly so by the evidence of young and old Tom, who, although in the cabin, had overheard the whole of the conversation and Mr. Drummond desired Captain Turnbull to inform me, as soon as I recovered, that all was forgotten and forgiven. It might have been on his part, but not on mine, and when Captain Turnbull told me so, with the view of raising my spirits, I shook my head as I lay on the pillow. As the reader will have observed, the feeling roused in me by the ill usage I had received was a vindictive one, one that must have been deeply implanted in my heart, although till then it had never been roused into action, and now, once roused, was not to be suppressed. That it was based on pride was evident, and with it my pride was raised in proportion. To the intimation of Captain Turnbull I therefore gave a decided dissent. No, sir, I cannot return to Mr. Drummond. That he was kind to me, and that I owe much to his kindness, I readily admit. And now that he has acknowledged his error in supposing me capable of such ingratitude, I heartily forgive him. But I cannot and will not receive any more favours from him. I cannot put myself in a situation to be again mortified as I have been. I feel I should no longer have the same pleasure in doing my duty as I once had, and I never could live under the same roof with those who at present serve him. 
tell him all this and pray tell little sarah how grateful i feel to her for all her kindness to me and that i shall always think of her with regret at being obliged to leave her and at the remembrance of little sarah i burst into tears and sobbed on my pillow captain turnbull whether he rightly estimated my character or felt convinced that i had made up my mind did not renew the subject well jacob replied he we'll not talk of that any more i'll give your messages just in your own words now take your draught and try to get a little sleep i complied with this request and nothing but weakness now remaining i rapidly regained my strength and with my strength my feelings of resentment increased in proportion nothing but the very weak state that i was in when captain turnbull spoke to me would have softened me down to give the kind message that i did but my vindictive mind was subdued by disease and better feelings predominated the only effect this had was to increase my animosity against the other parties who were the cause of my ill-treatment and i vowed that they at least should one day repent their conduct the domine called upon me the following sunday i was dressed and looking through the window when he arrived the frost was now intense and the river was covered with large masses of ice and my greatest pleasure was to watch them as they floated down with the tide thou hast had a second narrow escape my jacob said he after some preliminary observations once again did death pallida mors hover over thy couch but thou hast arisen and thy fair fame is again established when wilt thou be able to visit mr drummond and be able to thank him for his kindness never sir replied i i will never again enter mr drummond's house nay jacob this savoureth of enmity are not we all likely to be deceived all likely to do wrong did not i even i in thy presence backslide into intemperance and folly did not i disgrace myself before my pupil and shalt thou in thy tender years harbour ill-will against one who hath cherished thee when thou wert destitute and who was deceived with regard to thee by the base and evil speaking i am obliged to mr drummond for all his kindness sir replied i but i never wish to enter his house i was turned out of it and never will again go into it hey hugh jacob thou art in error it is our duty to forgive as we hope to be forgiven i do forgive sir if that is what is requested but i cannot and will not accept further favours the domine urged in vain and left me mr tomkins also came and argued the point without success i was resolved i was determined to be independent and i looked to the river as my father mother home and everything as soon as my health was reinstated captain turnbull one day came to me jacob said he the lighter has returned and i wish to know if you intend to go on board again and afterwards go into the vessel into which mr drummond proposed to send you 
i will go into no vessel through mr drummond's means or interests replied i what will you do then replied he i can always enter on board a man-of-war replied i if the worst comes to the worst but if i can serve out my apprenticeship on the river i should prefer it i rather expected this answer jacob from what you have said to me already and i have been trying if i cannot help you to something which may suit you you don't mind being obliged to me oh no but promise you will never doubt me never accuse me my voice faltered and i could say no more no my lad that i will not i know you as i think pretty well and the heart that feels a false accusation as yours does is sure to guard against committing what you are so angry at being accused of now jacob listen to me you know old deaf stapleton whose wherry we have so often pulled up and down the river i have spoken to him to take you as his help and he has consented will you like to go he has served his time and has a right to take apprentice yes replied i with pleasure and with more pleasure from expecting to see you often oh i promise you all my custom jacob replied he laughing we'll often turn old stapleton out and have a row together is it agreed it is replied i and many thanks to you well then consider it settled stapleton has a very good room and all that's requisite on shore at fulham i have seen his place and i think you will be comfortable i did not know at that time how much captain turnbull had been my friend that he had made stapleton take better lodgings and had made up the difference to him besides allowing him a trifle per week and promising him a gratuity occasionally if i were content with my situation in a few days i had removed all my clothes to stapleton's had taken my leave of mr turnbull and was established as an apprentice to a waterman on the thames the lighter was still at the wharf when i left and my parting with old tom and his son was equally and sincerely felt on both sides jacob said old tom i likes your pride after all cause why i think you have some right to be proud and the man who only asks fair play and no favour always will rise in this world but look you jacob there's sometimes a current against a man and no one can make head against and if so be that should be your case for a time recollect the old house the old woman and old tom and there you'll always find a hearty welcome and a hearty old couple who'll share with you what they have be it good bad or indifferent here's luck to you my boy and recollect i means to go to the expense of painting the sides of my craft blue and then you'll always know her as she creeps up and down the river and jacob said young tom i may be a wild one but i'm a true one if ever you want me in fair weather and in foul good or bad for fun or for mischief for a help or for a friend in need through thick or thin i'm yours even to the gallows and here's my hand upon it 
just like you tom observed his father but i know what you mean and all's right i shook hands with them both and we parted thus did i remove from the lighter and at once take up the profession of a waterman i walked down to the fulham side where i found stapleton at the door of the public-house standing with two or three others smoking his pipe well lad so you're chained to my wherry for two or three years and i'm to initiate you in all the rules and regulations of the company now i'll tell you one thing which is d'ye see when the river's covered with ice as it is just now haul your wherry up high and dry and smoke your pipe till the river is clear as i do now i might have guessed that replied i bawling in his ear without your telling me very true my lad but don't bawl in my ear quite so loud i hears none the better for it my ears require coaxing that's all why i thought you were as deaf as a post yes so i be with strangers cause i don't know the pitch of their voice but with those about me i hear better when they speak quietly that's human nature come let's go home my pipe is finished and as there's nothing to be done on the river we may just as well make all tidy there stapleton had lost his wife but he had a daughter fifteen years old who kept his lodgings and did for him as he termed it he lived in part of some buildings leased by a boat builder his windows looked out on the river and on the first floor a bay window thrown out so that at high water the river ran under it as for the rooms consisting of five i can only say that they could not be spoken of as large and small but as small and smaller the sitting-room was eight feet square the two bedrooms at the back for himself and his daughter just held a small bed each and the kitchen and my room below were to match neither were the tenements in the very best repair the parlour especially hanging over the river being lopsided and giving you the uncomfortable idea that it would every minute fall into the stream below still the builder declared that it would last many years without sinking further and that was sufficient at all events they were very respectable accommodations for a waterman and stapleton paid for them ten pounds per annum stapleton's daughter was certainly a very well-favoured girl she had rather a large mouth but her teeth were very fine and beautifully white her hair was auburn her complexion very fair her eyes were large and of a deep blue and from her figure which was very good i should have supposed her to have been eighteen although she was not past fifteen as i found out afterwards there was a frankness and honesty of countenance about her and an intellectual smile which was very agreeable well mary how do you get on said stapleton as we ascended to the sitting-room here's young faithful come to take up with us well father his bed's all ready and i have taken so much dirt from the room that i expect we shall be indicted for filling up the river i wonder what nasty people lived in this house before us very nice rooms nevertheless ain't they boy oh yes very nice for idle people 
you may amuse yourself looking out on the river or watching what floats by or fishing with a pin at high water replied mary looking at me i like the river replied i gravely i was born on it and hope to get my bread on it and i like this sitting-room rejoined stapleton how mightily comfortable it will be to sit at the open window and smoke in the summer-time with one's jacket off at all events you'll have no excuse for dirtying the room father and as for the lad i suppose his smoking-days have not come yet no replied i but my days for taking off my jacket are i suspect oh yes replied she never fear that father will let you do all the work you please and look on won't you father don't let your tongue run quite so fast mary you're not over fond of work yourself no there's only one thing i dislike more replied she and that's holding my tongue well i shall leave you and jacob to make it out together i am going back to the feathers and old stapleton walked down the stairs and went back to the inn saying as he went out that he should be back to his dinner mary continued her employment of wiping the furniture of the room with a duster for some minutes during which i did not speak but watched the floating ice on the river well said mary do you always talk as you do now if so you'll be a very nice companion mr turnbull who came to my father told me that you was a sharp fellow could read write and do everything and that i should like you very much but if you mean to keep it all to yourself you might as well not have had it i am ready to talk when i have anything to talk about replied i that's not enough i'm ready to talk about nothing and you must do the same very well replied i how old are you how old am i oh then you consider me nothing i'll try hard but you shall alter your opinion my fine fellow however to answer your question i believe i am about fifteen not more well there's an old proverb which i will not repeat i know it so you may save yourself the trouble you saucy boy but now for your age mine let me see well i believe that i am nearly seventeen are you really so old well now i should have thought you know more than fourteen this answer at first surprised me as i was very stout and tall for my age but a moment's reflection told me that it was given to annoy me a lad is as much vexed at being supposed younger than he really is as a man of a certain age is annoyed at being taken for so much older pooh replied i that shows how little you know about men i wasn't talking about men that i know of but still i do know something about them i've had two sweethearts already indeed and what have you done with them done with them i jilted the first for the second because the second was better looking and when mr turnbull told me so much about you i jilted the second to make room for you but now i mean to try if i can't get him back again 
with all my heart replied i laughing i shall prove but a sorry sweetheart for i never made love in my life have you ever had anybody to make love to no that's the reason mr jacob depend upon it all you have to do is to swear that i'm the prettiest girl in the world that you like me better than anybody else in the world do anything in the world that i wish you to do spend all the money you have in the world in buying me ribbons and fairings and then and then what why then i shall hear all you have to say take all you have to give and laugh at you in the bargain but i shouldn't stand that long oh yes you would i'd put you out of humour and coax you in again the fact is jacob faithful i made my mind up before i saw you that you should be my sweetheart and when i will have a thing i will so you may as well submit to it at once if you don't as i keep the key of the cupboard i'll half starve you that's the way to tame any brute they say and i tell you why jacob that i mean you shall be my sweetheart it's because mr turnbull told me that you knew latin now tell me what is latin latin is a language which people spoke in former times but now they do not well then you shall make love to me in latin that's agreed and how do you mean to answer me oh in plain english to be sure but how are you to understand me replied i much amused with the conversation oh if you make love properly i shall soon understand you i shall read the english of it in your eyes very well i have no objection when am i to begin why directly you stupid fellow to be sure what a question i went close up to mary and repeated a few words of latin now says i look into my eyes and see if you can translate them something impudent i'm sure replied she fixing her blue eyes on mine not at all replied i i only asked for this and i snatched a kiss in return for which i received a box on the ear which made it tingle for five minutes nay replied i that's not fair i did as you desired i made love in latin and i answered you as i said i would in plain english replied mary reddening up to the forehead but directly after bursting out into a loud laugh now mr jacob i plainly see that you know nothing about making love why bless me a year's dangling and a year's pocket money should not have given you what you have had the impudence to take in so many minutes but it was my own fault that's certain and i have no one to thank but myself i hope i didn't hurt you i'm very sorry if i did but no more making love in latin i've had quite enough of that well then suppose we make friends replied i holding out my hand that's what i really wish to do although i've been talking so much nonsense replied mary i know we shall like one another and be very good friends you can't help feeling kind towards a girl you've kissed and i shall try by kindness to make up to you for the box on the ear so now sit down and let's have a long talk mr turnbull told us 
that he wished you to serve out your apprenticeship on the river with my father, so that if you agree, we shall be a long while together. I take Mr. Turnbull's word, not that I can find it out yet, that you are a very good-tempered, good-looking, clever, modest lad, and as an apprentice who remains with my father must live with us, of course I had rather it should be one of that sort than some ugly, awkward brute who is not fit to make love to you, replied I. Who is not fit company for me, replied Mary. I want no more love from you at present. The fact is that father spends all the time he can spare from the wherry at the alehouse, smoking, and it's very dull for me, and having nothing to do I look out of the window and make faces at the young men as they pass by, just to amuse myself. Now, there was no great harm in that a year or two ago. But now, you know, Jacob. Well, now what then? Oh, I'm bigger, that's all. And what might be called sauciness in a girl may be thought something more of in a young woman. So I've been obliged to leave it off. But being obliged to remain at home with nobody to talk to, I never was so glad as when I heard that you were to come. So you see, Jacob, we must be friends. I daren't quarrel with you long, although I shall sometimes, just for variety, and to have the pleasure of making it up again. Do you hear me, or what are you thinking of? I'm thinking that you're a very odd girl. I dare say that I am, but how can I help that? Mother died when I was five years old, and father couldn't afford to put me out so he used to lock me in all day till he came home from the river and it was not till i was seven years old and of some use that the door was left open i never shall forget the day when he told me that in future he should trust me and leave the door open i thought i was quite a woman and have thought so ever since i recollect that i often peeped out and longed to run about the world but I went two or three yards from the door, and felt so frightened that I ran back as fast as I could. Since that I have seldom quitted the house for an hour, and never have been out of Fulham. Then you have never been at school? Oh, no, never. I often wish that I had. I used to see the little girls coming home as they passed our door, so merrily with their bags from the schoolhouse and I'm sure if it were only to have the pleasure of going there and back again for the sake of the run, I would have worked hard, if for nothing else. Would you like to learn to read and write? Will you teach me? replied Mary, taking me by the arm and looking me earnestly in the face. Yes, I will, with pleasure, replied I, laughing. We will pass the evening better than making love, after all, especially if you hit so hard. How came you so knowing in those matters? I don't know, replied Mary, smiling. I suppose, as father says, it's human nature, for I never learnt anything. But you will teach me to read and write? I will teach you all I know myself, Mary, if you wish to learn. Everything but Latin. We've had enough of that. Oh, I shall be so much obliged to you. I shall love you so. There you are again. No, no, I didn't mean that, replied Mary earnestly. I meant that, 
after all i don't know what else to say i mean that i shall love you for your kindness without your loving me again that's it i understand you but now mary as we are to be such good friends it is necessary that your father and i should be good friends so i must ask you what sort of a person he is for i know little of him and of course wish to oblige him well then to prove to you that i am sincere i will tell you something my father in the first place is a very good-tempered sort of man he works pretty well but might gain more but he likes to smoke at the public-house all he requires of me is his dinner ready his linen clean and the house tidy he never drinks too much and is always civil-spoken but he leaves me too much alone and talks too much about human nature that's all but he's so deaf he can't talk to you give me your hand now promise for i'm going to do a very foolish thing which is to trust a man promise you'll never tell it again well i promise replied i supposing her secret of no consequence well then mind you've promised father is no more deaf than you or i indeed replied i why he goes by the name of deaf stapleton i know he does and makes everybody believe that he is so but it is to make money how can he make money by that there's many people in business who go down the river and they wish to talk of their affairs without being overheard as they go down they always call for deaf stapleton and there's many a gentleman and lady who have much to say to each other without wishing people to listen you understand me oh yes i understand latin exactly and they call for deaf stapleton and by this means he gets more good fares than any other waterman and does less work but how will he manage now that i am with him oh i suppose it will depend upon his customers if a single person wants to go down you will take the skulls if they call for oars you will both go if he considers deaf stapleton only as wanted you will remain on shore or perhaps he will insist upon your being deaf too but i do not like deceit no it's not right although it appears to me that there is a great deal of it still i should like you to sham deaf and then tell me all that people say it would be so funny father never will tell a word so far your father to a certain degree excuses himself well i think he will soon tell you what i have now told you but till then you must keep your promise and now you must do as you please as i must go down in the kitchen and get dinner on the fire i have nothing to do replied i can i help you to be sure you can and talk to me which is better still come down and wash the potatoes for me and then i'll find you some more work well i do think we shall be very happy i followed mary stapleton down into the kitchen and we were soon very busy and very noisy laughing talking blowing the fire and preparing the dinner by the time that her father came home we were sworn friends End of chapter twenty one